You're listening to The Philip Jordan Show. Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome in to The Philip Jordan Show right here on Wiregrass Daily News Sports. On today's show, I'll be joined by A.J. Spur. He is the site editor over at Roll Tide Wire. We will talk about the returning Jalen Milrow for next season, and we also will jump into the Michigan matchup for Alabama, the Alabama side. How do they match up on offense? How do they match up on defense? And also get a preview for signing day on Wednesday for the Crimson Tide. And also, we will hear audio from Hugh Freeze and Chip Kelly, and we'll look at some other stuff from the weekend on this edition of the Philip Jordan Show, right here on Wiregrass Daily News Sports. You can check out the Philip Jordan Show podcast over at wiregrassdailynews.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please follow, rate, and review. Leave a review, and I will read it on a future edition of the show. And if you leave just four stars, you are just a straight-up hater. You can email me at sports.philipjordan at gmail.com. I want to kick the show off before we get to my conversation I had on Sunday night with A.J. Spur. Just some awesome stuff Hugh Freeze said Saturday in his press conference to kind of kick off Music City Bowl. All going to be playing on December 30th. They got to hit practice on Saturday. Hugh Freeze talked about just being excited about being around the team again, how they've been scattered, the whole schedule of things with bowl preparation, the portal stuff going on and also signing day coming up this Wednesday. He also went on to say that he believes that DJ James and Nehemiah Pritchett, both defensive backs, will not be playing in the bowl game, and Marcus Harris as well. He will not be playing in the bowl as well. Then he was asked about portal stuff and NIL by Justin Ferguson from the Auburn Observer, and this is what Hugh Freeze had to say. This clip comes from AL.com. Um, don't think I've handled it very well. Truthfully, <laughs> I've, uh, we want to build this program through high school, um, for the most part. Having said that, I don't know that you can ever isolate yourself into saying that's what's going to happen because you don't know how many you're going to lose, um, at this time, if that makes sense. So you can, you can plan to, Hey, we're going to replace these 20 seniors with 20 high schoolers, but then all of a sudden you have 30 spots and you haven't recruited uh, enough high schoolers for those spots. And obviously you have to go to the portal then. And um, I think our calendar is extremely messed up. I don't think it's good for um, high school recruiting, portal recruiting, managing your own team, getting ready for bowl prep. I, I think our calendar needs a serious, serious look at it um, to, to, for, for what's best for our game. Um, so it's been, it's, it's hard for any of us to, to truly manage all of it truthfully. You know, when you look at what Hugh Free said there too, and I agree, and I've always felt like this, that the condensed, schedule they're at now at this point of the year because think about it next season in a 12-team playoff we'll be talking about playoff games at this point but also recruiting and portal and all that stuff of course you would not think in the 12-team playoff you would not have players hitting the portal while they're on these teams 
Who knows? I mean, we just saw the backup quarterback for Texas jump into the portal as they're going into the playoff. But, hey, he's probably thinking, I got to get on a team before the options are very limited. You, you understand it. You get it. But it is kind of a bad thing, too, because your team is playing in the playoff. You have a chance for a championship. But with the stuff he said there, you don't have NFL free agency during the NFL playoffs. And that's pretty much what the portal is. It's college football free agency. We can call it what we want, but that's what it is. So I look at it from that standpoint, too. And I know you can't like have this after the playoff because these are college kids. They're going to school, so they have to be in place where they're going to go next, school-wise and all that stuff. I know a lot of people probably say they're there to play football. Yes, but you know there are also some players, they're going to school, too. So you just got to leave it at that. It's got That's why that's an issue. I'm in favor of going back to the old signing day back in February. I know they changed it to December, added that early signing period to help the coaches out, which I think now with everything going on, postseason and everything else, I don't really see how that is helping. So kind of get some of this stuff off the plate because you know that is a lot to deal with. You're, you're trying to keep players from going into the portal. You're trying to go find players to add from the portal. The high school side of things, you're trying to recruit the best class you can, and you're also trying to get ready for a bowl game. That's a lot, a lot of stuff to take in. And obviously with Auburn, too, as everybody's noticed, they have not added a quarterback, and that was one thing everybody thought, okay, Auburn's going to do. We saw Cam Moore, Grayson McCall, Riley Leonard, some names that were floating around the Internet, Twitter, X, Facebook, whatever, message boards, I'm sure that those are some quarterbacks maybe Auburn needed to go after. Now, they haven't done that. Peyton Thorne's still guy, the guy there. Now, Robbie Ashford, as I've said, has hit the portal. That was the news that hit on Friday. Hugh Freeze talked about that, about the quarterback thing. He said, we have one of the top returning quarterbacks in Power 5 and wins in Peyton Thorne. I believe that if we get the right pieces around him and hold it in Hank, I think our quarterback room is going to be fine next year. So, and you can make the argument that Peyton Thorne, when he became fully the starter, when there was no more back and forth between him and Robbie Ashford, he did play better. And I will say this, you get some better receivers around Auburn, there's some instances, especially in the second half of the year, drop passes. That was an issue for Auburn. So perhaps they get these more talented receivers coming in as everybody's expecting them to do, Peyton Thorne could be better. And also, I saw floating around that Hugh Freeze talked about, you know, Look, if they bring in a quarterback, Peyton and Holden may hit the portal, and then that hurts your quarterback depth too. So it's it's, it's a, a lot moving parts there. But from those comments from Hugh Freeze there, it does sound like they are going to continue on with Peyton Thorne as the starting quarterback. Now some interesting comments made by Chip Kelly, UCLA head coach, on Saturday, Friday, over the weekend – he gave his thoughts on portal and NIL and how college football should be structured, and this is what he had to say. I think they're all a problem, and I think we need to have a conference commissioner. I think football should be separate from the other sports. Just the fact that our school is leaving to go to the Big Ten in football, our, our softball team should be playing Arizona in softball. Our basketball team should be playing Arizona in basketball, but because football left. And they say, well, how do you do that? Well, Notre Dame's independent in football, and they're in a conference and everything else. I think we should all be independent in football. 
And you can have a 64-team conference that's in the Power Five, and you can have a 64-team conference in the Group of Five, and we separate it, and we play each other. You can have the West Coast teams, and then every year we play seven games against the West Coast teams, and then we play the East. So we play Syracuse, Boston College, Pitt, West Virginia, Virginia. Then the next year you play against the South while you still play your seven teams. You can play a seven-game schedule. You can play four against another conference, another division opponent, and you can always play against one Mountain West team every year so that we can still keep those rivalries going. Not that I've really thought about this. <laughs> Not that I've lot of spent time on this. But I think if you went together collectively as a group and said there's 132 teams and we all share in the same te- we all share the same TV contract, so that the Mountain West doesn't have one and the Sun Belt doesn't have another and SEC has one and they have another, that we all go together. That's a lot of games, and there's a lot of people in the TV world that would go through it. You can sponsor each one. Instead of calling it Group of Five and Power Five, you can call it Amazon, Nike, bid that out to things. You know, a lot of different things. But I think if we still do the same thing and take all that money, and I would do this, and I think this needs to be done, that money now needs to be shared with the student-athletes, and there needs to be revenue sharing, and the players should get paid, and you can get rid of NLI, and the schools should be paying the players because the players are what the product is. And the fact that they don't get paid – is really the biggest travesty. Not that I've thought about it. Now, not with the school paying the player thing. I'll, I'll set that to the side for a later day. I am not in disagreement with what Chip Kelly said, where there needs to be one commissioner, the 64-64. I think that makes a lot of sense, keep football separate. I mean, we all know all the conference expansion is football-driven. I mean, none of it's about basketball or any other sports. It's all about football. Football brings in the most revenue. Some basketball does, but there's also a lot of basketball that doesn't. But we know what football brings in, especially at the top level. And then he's right. The other sports, how are they going to pull this off? I mean, you look at the Big Ten, and everybody was looking, oh, man, we're going to have USC or UCLA versus Rutgers in football. That's fine. I mean, that's on the weekend. That's one it's a lot of travel, but still, that's not that bad. But basketball, baseball, softball, volleyball—you know these other sports—that's that's going to be a lot. And uh, yeah, and I know the Big Ten also adds Washington, Oregon, and that does help. But still, having it more regionalized in the other sports would be key, and it would really be financially more feasible because you also got to wonder. How much money is that going to cost? And could we potentially down the road see some of these sports cut because the way the conferences are looking? But if you separate football and you keep everything else the same, I think that works. Like you said, playing seven West Coast teams. And then, you know, he's got the Southeast. And obviously he's going with the West Coast stuff. He's at UCLA. That's where he is, he's at. So he's going to talk about it in that way. He's going to use that side of the country. But you could still keep some of that stuff going. And I'm not against that. I mean, I've not really gave my opinion on all the conference realignment. I'm not really a big fan of it. I like the classic rivalries, and that's one thing we've lost. I mean, I know why. It's because of TV money and all that other stuff. I mean, that's that's the reason why we're doing this. But still, I think Chip Kelly's hitting on something here. Um, and like I say, keep everything else separate. So I don't think that's what's going to happen anytime soon. It probably is one of the things that should happen it would be smarter and as he talked about the tv money i mean you could pull that off you could still have some of your you know how your contracts are now with nbc cbs fox espn you know, all the people different people that are broadcasting stuff but there's gonna be a lot on this other sport so we'll see how it all pans out 
All right, I'm going to take a one-minute break. When we come back, I'll be joined by A.J. Spur from the Roll Tide Wire right here on the Philip Jordan Show on Wiregrass Daily News Sports. 96.9 The Legend is your connection to classic country legend. But Digio Strategies has other options too. News Talk 103.9 is your source for America's top news and entertainment shows like Rick and Bubba in the morning, Glenn Beck from 9 till 11 a.m. and Clay Travis and Buck Sexton middays from 11 a.m. till 2 p.m. Sean Hannity, Lars Larson, Ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh and others fill your day with the latest news and views from America's top conservative voices. America at night and coast to coast am keep you company and connected throughout the night plus fox news the alabama radio network and wiregrass daily news keep you informed with national international state and local news and with more musical choices like all the hits 1067 kmx today's country 95.5 wtvy and music 1077 digio strategies gives you more choices and more variety listen on air online and on our apps 96.9 the legend is just the beginning everybody we are starting this fantastic monday outright i am joined by aj spur you can check him out site editor over at roll tide wire of course as part of usa today and aj uh things about the third or fourth time i've had you on this season i appreciate it uh we're we're gearing up for the playoff it's coming up in a few weeks but i appreciate you taking time here on this monday to come on the show no thank you so much for having me on it's always a pleasure to join you, we have the playoffs coming up. Uh, bowl season is among us. Uh, there's a lot to look forward to football-wise, and uh, I'm excited to uh, to get talking with you. Yeah, it was it was an interesting Saturday. I'll, you know, with all the bowl games, it's look at some of the lesser bowls. Obviously, the first weekend of bowls, but it was kind of nice. I don't know about you. It, I knew it wasn't like a regular college football Saturday, but having game after game after game, me sitting in my chair watching football all day, of course a little NFL was on too as well, it felt like a normal Saturday versus last week when we basically just had Army-Navy. <laughs> yeah, last week, and aside from Army-Navy, it kind of felt like a precursor to the off season, which I always dread. Uh, so it, having the opportunity to watch football, no matter who it is or what it's for, you know, it, it's always a pleasure. So I'm just happy we have some some nonstop football going on here moving forward, leading up to some very, very big games, not just in the playoffs, but, you know, some meaningful bowl games and the New Year's Six bowl games that aren't semifinals for the playoffs this year. Yeah, so one of the big headlines from last week uh, regarding Alabama was Jalen Milrow is returning next year. And this obviously, some people out there may think I'm being sarcastic or just being a certain way, but A.J., was he going anywhere? <laughs> Huge news. You know, it was breaking. Nobody was expecting this. Uh, no, I, I mean, just from the reaction uh, from fans, not just Alabama fans, but college football fans nationwide, I don't think there was any real expectation that Milrow was leaving for the NFL. Now, could he have? I think he probably could have. Um, just looking at this quarterback class, it's not the strongest per se. Uh, but obviously Milrow did what a lot of people expected of him, which was, you know, announced that he was returning for another year. He's by many, you know, outlets, he's considered the favorite to win the Heisman next year. And obviously we have a long ways to go before then. But considering the quarterbacks that are draft eligible for this upcoming season, I really do think Milrow is putting himself in the best position to not just improve on the field, but improve his draft stock as well. 
So while it might have not been a surprise to most people, uh, I, I'm glad to hear that Alabama fans have, you know, that sense of, you know, relaxation of knowing Milrow is without a doubt 100% coming back next season. Yeah, because I think you get in debate. Once we get past Caleb Williams and Drake May, I mean, who's number three? I think there, that is a solid debate to be had on who is the third best quarterback prospect for this upcoming NFL draft. Big time. Big time. Even some of the, the big names like Bo Nix or Michael Penix, you know, it's it's not a matter of, you know, who's going number one. I think there's, you know, a general consensus that, it's Caleb Williams and, you know, a slight minority that believe Drake May has an opportunity to be number one. But once you hit that, that QB three spot, there, there's a lot of uncertainty. And there are teams that probably are QB needy that may even look to pass on, you know, some of the stragglers that fall behind May and Williams and just look ahead to uh, the, the 2025 draft, which it feels weird to say that talking about it now in 2023, but you know, they, they might just roll the dice, wait and see what happens, and maybe even uh, try their hands at, at snagging Jalen Milrow uh, whenever he goes off the board in 2025. Yeah, and, and with Jalen Milrow going into next year, of course, also last week was the Heisman voting. Of course, Jaden Daniels won the award, but Milrow comes in sixth. So you got to look going into next season, he's going to be one of the favorites. Absolutely. And, and a lot of the, the names that were above him on that list, if not all of them, I can't remember the order exactly, but he might be the only name in that top six that is uh, eligible or not eligible, but planning on returning for the 2024 college football season. So I, I think that's good on him. Uh, there's a lot to look forward to, especially considering the growth in, uh, in maturity and, and playing style that we've seen from Milrow. There's only up. From here, yeah, uh, I know I, I had pulled something up here on my phone. I know on three last week put it out, put out some of their their Heisman hopefuls or twenty twenty four candidates. Jalen Milrow's top of the list, and he had Quinn Ewers who's coming back, which is why we're seeing you know Murphy, their backup quarterback, hit the portal. Uh, Dylan Gabriel, who's going to Oregon, we know they put up numbers. Carson Beck, what he's done this year. So you know we uh, we got a lot of SEC flavor that probably next year that could be up there in that Heisman Heisman list as well. Oh, absolutely. And with the SEC expanding, the talent pool gets even stronger. Recruiting is just going to get even harder. No, they're the, outside of Jalen Milrow in Alabama, there's a lot to look forward to if you follow the SEC either closely or casually. So uh, looking at the college football playoff, now I have moved past this question. I'm going to ask you this question. Uh, so if anybody wants me to ask this question, I'm sorry I'm not. I'm not going to ask AJ, did the committee get it right? I'm tired, I'm tired of talking <laughs> about it. Everybody else is tired of hearing about it. But Alabama versus Michigan, Ed, when we saw it get revealed that Michigan was going to play Alabama, everybody saw Michigan's reaction. It's not like they were excited. It was kind of like a sigh or, okay, we know we have a tough game coming up. Just overall, this Alabama-Michigan matchup, just what are your thoughts? I think that this is going to be a very, very interesting matchup for the sole reason of, look, Alabama's been battle-tested. We've seen what Alabama can do against, you know, some of the top teams in the country. Obviously, they lost to Texas early on in the season and could fight for a rematch in the national championship game uh, within the next couple weeks. But, you know, what they did against Ole Miss, LSU, Georgia, I mean, the list goes on. 
what Alabama has done on both offense and defense, especially as the seasons progress, you know what you're getting from the Crimson Tide. Not just the players, but also um, Tommy Reese and Kevin Steele, Nick Saban, of course, you know what you're getting, and it's only getting better week in and week out. Whereas Michigan, on the other hand, there are a lot of question marks. Sure, they're the number one team in the land, right? The top-ranked team in the college football playoff. However, there are some serious questions about whether or not they have been tested seriously outside of the game uh, against Ohio State. You know, beyond that, there's not much to look at on this Michigan roster or on this Michigan schedule and say, you know what, they had to go out there, they had to fight, they earned a win, and what they did was special. Now, that's not to say this isn't a very talented team that's capable of, you know, defeating Alabama and even winning the entire thing. But you look at the defense, that's strong. You look at the, the discipline of the team overall, they're the uh, least penalized team in all of FBS football. However, you look at the offense, sure, there's Blake Corum, there's some high-quality receivers. However, J.J. McCarthy, we haven't seen from him, especially as of late. He only threw one passing touchdown since um, late October. So there are some very big questions on this offense, whereas with Alabama's defense, you know what you're getting. The secondary, solid. Linebackers are dangerous, and the defensive front is pretty good against the run. So it's going to be a marquee matchup, not just because you have two of the biggest brands in college football, but because you have two teams that are highly coveted and have had very different paths to the college football playoff. So, no, it's going to be a great, great game. And then the fact that it's at the Rose Bowl, that just adds to it. Yeah. <laughs> no, the Alabama has a, has a very strong history in the Rose Bowl. Alabama has you know, a, a strong history playing Michigan as well in the postseason. So all the stars align here to uh, to make for an insanely good matchup that fans should be thankful for. I know you said you didn't want to get into it, but, you know, how would this be if Florida State did end up in that four spot? You know, what would the lines be? How would people be analyzing this game? You saw Michigan's reaction when they announced they were playing Alabama over Florida State. So... You know, I think I think the fans were gifted a great game here. Yeah, I, I, I do as well. And just, you know, I'm sure you've seen this, but this is kind of for the audience too maybe that doesn't know. Cool trivia question for you, AJ. Who was the starting quarterback last time Michigan beat Alabama? I'm, I'm not even going to try here. I don't know. Tom Brady. Oh. It always comes back to Tom Brady, doesn't it? And anything football-related trivia, it always comes back to Tom Brady. Yeah, the 2000 Orange Bowl when Alabama won the 99 SEC Championship game, it went to overtime. I remember watching it. Uh, and, uh, yeah, Tom Brady led a overtime victory. Alabama misses the extra point in overtime to lose that game. Uh, but, yeah, it was Tom Brady was the starting quarterback for Michigan. Well, I don't think J.J. McCarthy, and this isn't a shot at McCarthy, but I don't think he's the next Tom Brady for this Wolverines program. However, you know, stars are made in huge games like this. So if you're an Alabama fan, you better hope he keeps playing like how he has and that he doesn't turn into a superstar Tom Brady caliber quarterback uh, in the Rose Bowl. I am never putting that on anybody trying to say they're the next Tom Brady. That's what, I, I I don't know. That maybe that's just as bad or maybe worse than labeling the next Michael Jordan on somebody. <laughs> so it's just 
I mean, you're, t- you're talking about you, uh, you're going to play till you're 45 years old and you win seven Super Bowls. I mean, that's, that's a lot <laughs> to ask of anybody. So, a little too much pressure on the, on the young guy. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, uh, you know, you talked about the run game. And, you know, that's obviously, you know, with Michigan, what you're going to get. That's what they want to do. They want to line up. They want to run the ball with Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards. Uh, Corum over 1,000 yards, second in the Big Ten this year, 24 touchdowns. Donovan Edwards, not as good this year as he was last year. He had close to 900 rushing yards last year, just a tick under 400 this year. And then with J.J. McCarthy as well. You know, they want to get him involved, or he can get involved in the run game too as well. When you look at the Alabama front, we just saw what they did to Georgia. Georgia only run for 78 yards against Alabama in the SEC championship game, averaged 2.5 yards per carry on 31 attempts. But the Alabama defense versus that Michigan offense, what are your overall takes on that? Honestly, and I kind of teased this a little bit earlier, and I did write about this uh, last week, the key here for this Alabama defense is going to be, uh, you know, controlling the run game while not ignoring J.J. McCarthy. We can sit here and talk about how poor his stats have been as of late. However, if you leave that door open and give him the opportunity to show out, he'll take advantage of that. Jim Harbaugh wants to beat Saban. This is a game of, you know, Alabama being expected to roll in here and do what they do, which is perform at a high level in a playoff game on route to a national championship. Michigan here knows their offense is outmatched. Currently, on paper, their offense is outmatched by this Alabama defense. So what they need to do is figure out a way to confuse Alabama, get them out of their groove, and I think the way to do that is to utilize the heck out of J.J. McCarthy and this passing game. Because, look, Blake Corm is going to do what Blake Corm does best, and that's score touchdowns and fight for yardage. It comes down to Alabama's defensive front to mitigate any damage Corum can do. And if Michigan does have to play from behind and utilize that passing game, making sure that J.J. McCarthy doesn't take advantage of opportunities left open by this relatively young uh, secondary that Alabama has that has been strong and getting stronger every week as we've seen throughout the course of the season. So if you're really looking at what the main key is for Alabama's defense, I'm going to say it's focus on J.J. McCarthy because even though he's not been shining recently, he has the ability to, and he will do that to them if they let him. You know, going into last year's playoff, I think going into last year too, that was kind of a label on J.J. McCarthy too. Now, look, he had two interceptions in the game, but against TCU in the playoff, he stepped up. I mean, he showed what he was capable of if asked to throw the ball a lot. He was 20 or 34 for 343 yards, two touchdowns. Like I said, two interceptions. He ran for 52 yards and one touchdown. So we've, we have seen him in this kind of, on this stage, step up and take it to another level. Look, yes, he throws two interceptions, but also it's not his fault that, you know, Michigan couldn't stop TCU last year, but still he has shown that potential. Absolutely. And just looking at his stats on this season, he's accurate. He doesn't turn the ball over much. He's at a 74% completion percentage while only turning the ball over four times through interceptions. Now he's been sacked 18 times. If Alabama's defense can apply pressure, force him to make a mistake, or even better for the Crimson Tide, get him on the ground, they have a legitimate shot at doing some serious damage against this Michigan offense. However, it's about forcing him to make those mistakes. Don't let him do what he does best and drop the ball off. Make those easy plays. Not to say that, you know, I, I'm a 
Tua Tungabailoa supporter, and I hate it when people say that he's a you know Duncan Dink quarterback and just lets the wide receivers uh, do their job. But J.J. McCarthy can be a playmaker if he's allowed to. So it's up to Alabama's defense, not just the secondary, but that defense in front to apply the pressure and force him to make those errors. You know, we flip it around. The Alabama offense versus Michigan defense. And just kind of throw some numbers at you on this Michigan defense. In the Big Ten this year, the average, their defense has given up 9.5 points per game, uh, 240 total yards, and they've sacked the quarterback 33 times. Against their run, they were second in the Big Ten behind Penn State, giving up 87 yards on the ground. And I bring all that up because we know Alabama wants to run the football. That's one thing they want to do. So they can set up some play action with Jalen Milrow down the field. Isaiah Bond has really stepped up, I think, the second half of the year, and Jermaine Burton's been good as well. And I'm going to throw this at you with this. You know, we talked about what J.J. McCarthy can do as a runner. Well, Alabama senior quarterbacks can do that. They play against Jaden Daniels. I mean, Peyton Thorne was very successful on the ground running at the quarterback spot. So they've seen quarterbacks like that. AJ, I'm not sure Michigan has seen a quarterback like Jalen Milrow that's really going to stress the defense with his running ability. I'm going to agree with you 100% there, and I think you can attribute that to the Big Ten style of football where, you know, what Jalen Milrow does isn't really a huge part of the game plan for any program in the Big Ten, or at least any program that Michigan's faced all season long. And what Jalen Milrow does is exactly what Alabama's defense's biggest weakness is. Uh, you mentioned a couple of uh, couple of players that have caused problems for Alabama uh, when they can throw and take off on the ground. Uh, Jalen Milrow has an opportunity here to set the foundation for, you know, not just winning the college football playoff or at least winning the Rose Bowl, but setting a foundation of, look, coming into next season – He's been able to do it all, and he's been steadily improving every single week after that week three benching against South Florida. Uh, we talk about the run game for Alabama. Obviously, Jace McClellan, Roy Dell Williams, and Jam Miller are serious problems for any defenses of any caliber. Uh, obviously, they gave Georgia a really, really hard time. So Michigan may be focusing on the ground game, not just with those three backs that I mentioned, but with Jalen Milrow as well, uh, just because of how big of a threat he is to extend plays. Sure, he can get past the line of scrimmage and take off uh, if there's pressure applied and he can kind of improvise with his leg, but it can't be understated that there's a Bryce Young-esque style with Jalen Milrow where he can avoid pressure, he can escape the pocket while still being able to throw on the run, and I think that's one of the most lethal things that Jalen Milrow has been able to accomplish this season and successfully at that. So, no, I, I do think that Michigan's defense, as strong as it is, um, is going to have a hard time uh, honing in on Jalen Milrow. Yeah, and you, you can practice it, you can prepare for it, but you really are not ready for it until you actually see it. So I'm, I'm going to be very interested, just on the Michigan side of things, just the first time Jalen Milrow maybe does break a long run or does something, like you said, with his – with his feet to set up a pass when he starts doing that how does Michigan respond because again you can practice against it but it's not the same as going against it in like you know in full speed absolutely and I mentioned this in an article I wrote earlier that said you know the identity of Alabama's offense is really the fact that it lacks a true identity and I think that's one of the things that makes uh, the Crimson Tide offense so special Tommy Reese has been a lot more comfortable uh, you know, designing plays tailored specifically for Jalen Milrow. And if you're Michigan, you're looking at this Alabama offense saying, what do we focus on? 
how do we go about making sure this Alabama team doesn't play to its strengths? Well, to do that, you have to ask yourself, what are the strengths? And really, I think that's an answer or that's a question that has no answer right now because they really can do it all. And while they don't necessarily excel, you know, in a superior fashion one way or another, they are very, very good at the passing game, in the running game. You know, they, they have been able to do some things this season that we haven't seen in years prior under Bill O'Brien and, you know, with Bryce Young at the helm. So it's exciting to see this Alabama team have the opportunity to showcase what it can do while playing for a national championship. You know, and uh, last question before I let you out of here. On Wednesday is, is signing day. I'm still getting used to that. Uh, I know it's been a few years, but still getting used to that, that December signing day. I know there's some coaches out there uh, that are still probably not a fan of it, but just – I don't want to ask you to break down the class or potential class Alabama have, but just what do you what do you see as some maybe storylines for Alabama uh, coming on on Wednesday with signing day? Well, if you pay attention to recruiting at all on social media, it, it seems to be you know the iron bowl of recruiting, uh, just mm-hmm. with Crimson Tide fans and Auburn fans going at it nonstop over some top tier recruits. I might add. Uh, Perry Thompson, a commit to Auburn right now, a lot of people believe he could flip to Alabama. And Ryan Williams, he's an Alabama commit. He just reclassified from the 2025 class to the 2024 class and showed out at the Alabama-Mississippi All-Star game. So those are two names I would keep an eye on that a lot of people from both Alabama and Auburn believe are liable to flip. Um, But overall, I think that this Alabama class is strong and that regardless of, you know, who's flipping or who's, you know, staying true to their original verbal commitment, um, Alabama and Saban's going to do the most with, you know, what they have. And like we always talk about year in and year out, Saban is the ultimate recruiter. So if he's, you know, losing a recruiter to, to a rival program, uh, like he says sometimes, you know, they'll just have to regret it when Alabama ends up beating them in the Iron Bowl. Uh, and there have been numerous examples of that. And then you have a couple players of, you know, recent history that have flipped from Auburn to Alabama and talk about how much, you know, they, they look back on that and are glad they made that decision. So, no, signing day, I think, is going to be drama-filled this year, mainly with Williams and Thompson. Uh, but overall, I think it's going to be an exciting day, and, and both fan bases and really the SEC overall has had a, uh, a really good cycle throughout the 2024 class and it's not over yet yeah uh, we're recording this on a sunday night so auburn played in basketball on on sunday afternoon against usc and ryan williams was there so uh he was getting the uh the complete uh admiration from the auburn faithful uh, i guess trying to convince him to flip the auburn like you said with perry thompson so uh the receiver position i think is probably going to be for both schools is going to be kind of like the big thing to pay attention to on wednesday absolutely all right, AJ, I appreciate you coming on, uh, breaking down the Alabama-Michigan. Talk a little recruiting talk. Don't do that a lot here, but I uh, appreciate you, you coming on to do all that. If the listeners and viewers want to check you out, where can they find you? Well, on Twitter, they can find – or X, I guess, is what we should call it now. Um, they can find me at SpurFM, and that's S-P-U-R-R, and then FM like the radio dial. And then everything Alabama athletics, especially football and basketball – over at RollTideWire.USAToday.com. All right. Sounds good. Everybody go check AJ out. AJ, I appreciate the time, and I uh, look forward to when we do some guests sometime down the road. As am I, and as always, thank you so much for having me.
A new soccer club is coming to Dothan, Alabama, and you get to name the team. From now until December 24th, cast your vote for your favorite team name or submit your own name. Everyone who votes will get a pair of tickets to the opening night. Limit one pair per household. Go to 969thelegend.com to vote. As we get out of here, kind of update you on what's going on in the NFL. The game I was looking forward to the most on Sunday was the the Bills and Cowboys, just because of the way the Cowboys have been playing lately last week. Impressive win over the Eagles, and the Bills have been playing better late, too. They're 8-6 and six right now. They defeated the Cowboys 31-10, to 10, and Bills just outplayed them every aspect of the game. Uh, first downs, Bills 28-14. to 14. On third down, the Bills were 5-9. of nine. The Cowboys were 5-13. of 13. I think you went into this game thinking – this is going to be a high-scoring game just because Josh Allen on one side and Dak Prescott on the other. But it was, like I said, just one-sided. And the total yards here, 351 to 195 for Buffalo. Dallas only had 106 yards passing. Rushing was 89. Rushing yards for Buffalo, they had 266. So the individual stuff here too as well. James Cook, tremendous performance here. They ran all over Dallas. He had 25 carries for 179, one touchdown, 7.2 average yards per carry in that one. Josh Allen really wasn't needed through the air, 7 to 15, 94 yards, one touchdown. He got sacked one time. And Dak Prescott, not great, didn't help me out because uh, I needed him to have a big game on the fancy football side of things. 21 to 34, 134, zero touchdowns, one interceptions. The Bills did a good job of not allowing Dallas to get the big play down the field. They uh, played two high safeties, so they were really protecting that side. So Dallas probably, if they'd been patient, maybe could have had some stuff in the run game, which the Bills up front did well against that too as well. But they were not going to allow C.D. Lamb and those receivers to get behind them in the big play. And man, the, the Bills are 8-6, and six, and this is a team that could be very, very dangerous. Now, looking at where everybody sits in the playoffs right now, uh, as I am recording this, it's probably a few minutes after the Sunday Night Football game. Baltimore sits at 11-3 at the 1. The number 2 right now is Miami at 10-4. Kansas City, they got a win over New England to get to 9-5. Jacksonville, 8-6. They have now lost, what, three games in a row now. They got Cleveland sitting at 5. Joe Flacco at quarterback. What a throwback. It's like we're back in 2008 again. Cincinnati, Jake Browning, that fun overtime win they had over the Vikings on Saturday. They are sitting there at nine, at 8-6 and six in the 6. And then the Colts are 8-6. and six. They had a 30-13 to 13 win over the Steelers. So they're sitting at 7. So when you look at Buffalo, they're number 9. They're 8-6. and six. They're behind Houston for those spots right now. So Buffalo's a team that Many made the playoffs. And then just looking at the NFC, and I think the 49ers are the best team in pro football right now. 49ers are 11-3. The Eagles are 10-3. The Lions, they're sitting at 10-4. It's the three. Tampa Bay, they beat the Packers today. They're 7-7. Dallas is 10-4. Minnesota's 7-7. The Rams are 7-7. The Packers are still in it. Barely. I mean, they're in 11 right now, but one game behind some of these teams. Now, you look at one of the teams that are behind is New Orleans. They beat them early in the year. They beat the Rams earlier this year. They have another matchup with the Vikings, but the Packers are probably going to have to win out 
to get into the playoffs. Without Atlanta, I, the Atlanta Falcons, they they need a new coach. I, I'm just gonna say that. Don't really like calling out coaches a lot, but you lose seven to nine to the Panthers. There was hardly nobody there in the stadium. They lose at the end with a field goal. So Atlanta's got talent. There's talent on that team, but uh, they should be a lot better than they are. But they aren't. And that's gonna do it for today's edition of the Philip Jordan Show. Once again, thanks to AJ Spur for coming on the show. Be back on Wednesday. Got two guests coming up on Wednesday, and we'll have. And I haven't decided I'm going to release the late week, like maybe on Thursday afternoon or Friday morning. But we got a, uh, you got three episodes coming this week, so hope you enjoy it. And we should have some high school football news coming up soon. So a, an edition of the Wiregrass High School Football Report will be coming your way in the next, either this week or next week. So pay attention to that on all your favorite podcast platforms. Anyways, guys, remember you can follow me on social media at PJordanSEC. Podcasts available on all your favorite podcast platforms and wiregrassdailynews.com. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please follow, rate, and review. Leave a review. I will read it on a future edition of the show. And if you leave just four stars, you are just a straight-up hater. Check out all my written work over at Last Word on College Football. And you can always email me at sportsoffilipjordan at gmail.com. Everybody has a great Monday. I'll talk to you guys in a few days. Bye-bye.